0: I am Michael's mom, I am Ashley, and there were three berries in there, and that is because we do have a very, very, very special guest. Her name is Kristen O'Connor, and I'm just gonna give you a quick overview. She's the CEO of Cura Childhood for Cancer, and you also started Quiet Heroes, which I'm gonna ask you about. And yay! If I had a I would say, yay, Kristen is with us. I'm so I was so excited when you said.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. I'm just—I'm honored to be invited. So I—it's great to talk to you.
0: Tell us what you do. Like I told everyone, you're the CEO of Care. But people are like, "What is?" Some people will know, but some people will not.
1: Okay, sure. Well, I—I um, I run a childhood cancer nonprofit. Our mission is—is is in our name, which I love. I'm—I'm um, I'm not. I can't take any credit for that. Um, the organization was started in 1975 when the very first pediatric oncologist came to Atlanta, to Emory um, University, wow. and and there was no pediatric research program, cancer research program at the time, and he, he didn't have any, like, he just didn't even have what he needed really to um, diagnose pediatric leukemias, so he got together some parents of some of his patients and they just started raising money to buy this special microscope he needed. Um, they raised $10,000 and, you know, bought the microscope and that's how, how Cure started. And we, you know, have grown and evolved and changed over the years, of course, but our most um, urgent priority is to um, advance research and, and treatments um, for, you know, children, uh, teens and young adolescents with cancer. And then while we do that, we also provide um, support for families going through the challenges of this. Um, so that is what we do.
0: Which is personally, because this is a very personal podcast, that's how we connected was because of something you do. But wait, I want to actually step back. First of all, I had read that, but I love that it's a doctor that started this. It's so human. But that's also your story. I think Michael and I both, we read about your story, but we would love to hear from you
2: what got you involved. Yeah, why? Why are you doing so much for the cancer community, especially in children?
1: Yes, I'm happy to share that. First, I just want to tell y'all, Dr. Ray Gab, who who started Cure, was such a remarkable human being, just remarkable. And he uh, he did pass away a few years ago um, from pancreatic cancer, which makes me mad because he uh, no. he knew so much for so long. But he was just a really special human wow. being, and um, and it, for me, it's it's an honor to kind of stand on his shoulders. Um, so how did I get here? Um, well, I was a, I was a lawyer. I, um, practiced for 10 years as a business litigator uh, here in Atlanta and didn't really have any plans to do anything different. But in 2001, my youngest was born with, and actually when I was 33 weeks pregnant with him, an ultrasound showed that he had a tumor on his spine. And right at that point, um, doctors kind of immediately started talking about neuroblastoma. Of course, I thought that it was like, just the craziest conversation I had ever heard. Like, what are you talking about? This child hasn't taken his first breath. Like how could we even be talking about cancer and just had no idea. And um, so he was born with it. You know, it was. It's a really kind of long story. I won't bore you with all the details, but essentially, when he was born, he he didn't have any symptoms that were um, the result of having a tumor on his spine. Like they didn't know when he was born, would he be able to use like his legs? Would you know how how he would be and. He was born early, so he did have um, some his lungs weren't fully developed, and, and respiratory distress, which affected right. what they were able to do, you know, kind of early on in diagnostics. But there was a quite a lot of um, disagreement um, among the sort of medical community about how to handle his situation because neuroblastoma really can be two very different kinds of diseases. So there's the kind that children sort of get when they're maybe two or three, you know, I think there's a belief that many of those kids have, are born with it, but that for some reason, a switch flips, you know, and, and, they, and it becomes very malignant acting, and they don't really know why that happens or what triggers that. And when um, those kids are usually diagnosed a stage four, very, very aggressive disease. It's very hard to cure that that stage four neuroblastoma. And then there's another sort of kind, and it can be uh, found in infants where it sometimes resolves, uh, regresses on its own and, and goes away. And I think they were looking at him and not knowing which he had and if his often neuroblastoma is an abdominal tumor tumor and um, but his was on his spine and it had fingers that went into his spinal canal and so it wasn't easy to just get it right and put it under a microscope and see what kind it was and so we really you know the recommendation ultimately was for us to just kind of wait and watch and he had MRIs every six weeks he went under sedation for MRIs and kind of what we heard was you know we're going to watch and look for patterns and 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 we need to see this regress over time and if it doesn't regress over like enough and or over time really in a clear way by the time he's one we can be pretty sure that he has that other kind and one day you know that switch is going to flip and so we're just going to watch him closely, and and that's what. Oh my god!
0: As a mom, as a mom, I'm just going to watch. Oh, baby, well, I can't mom. imagine.
1: I mean, it was no, and it, it was it was kind of torture. I mean, it was kind of torture. torture you know, you're thinking it's
2: torture. Wow.
1: Oh my gosh! Like, am I? You know, like, am I making the wrong decision? Is tomorrow going to be the day? You know that this thing becomes that sort of activated, triggered, and then we've waited a day too long. You know, and. <sighs> But at the same time, it was a spinal tumor. And so do you really want to put your infant on either chemotherapy or, or do this surgery that's going to affect his mobility for his whole life if you don't need to? It was hard. You know, it's funny, though. I think you guys can appreciate this. I feel so guilty even saying that it's hard now because like that is not hard, right? Like what you've been through, Michael, that is hard. <laughs> it's not it's hard. All hard. It's, it's <laughs> <all> hard. <laughs> cancer is hard no matter what. Yeah.
2: There's nothing easy about ever no having to what. go through anything related to a malignant disease, which is cancer.
1: You know, he did hit that year mark without signs of regression. So I think we got more afraid after that. And Right after he turned two, he started having symptoms that could have been consistent, that were consistent with progressing disease. So they did all these emergency scans, and and ultimately decided that it was time, like, to intervene. And uh, he was, you know, ready for um, surgery. And literally, like, we were in San Francisco with a, a neurosurgeon out there who was going to do it. And um, he had had kind of the final MRI to map out his nerves and, you know, all the nerves that they were going to try not to sacrifice. And they called us over um, when, from, he, you know, he was coming out of sedation and they called us over and said, you know, we need to see you. And we went in and they said, you know, we don't really know how to say this, but like the tumor has just, I mean, it's gone. It's not there. It's, it's disappeared. And we were like, wow. what do you mean? Is like, come on. Like, what do you mean it's disappeared you know like somebody's misread this these scans he's been he's been scanned for two years like often yeah. so but what happened was it and um it did it just it really and it's pretty remarkable because even though infant neuroblastoma can regress it usually does what it's going to do by the time the kids are one and it doesn't just vanish overnight it it's a slow you know regression, right. and right. so the fact that this tumor just kind of vanished overnight was very unusual. And so, you know, he did not have surgery. He did not have one drop of chemo. He wow. Um, okay. We went. We flew home from San Francisco, and he continued to be monitored for several years after that, and it never, it never came back. So that's crazy. It's a, it it really, for me, I think I felt, you know, I had met so, I mean, just, it was two years of all of that. And I had just met so many people, so many families going through and and seeing their kids. And, and, you know, I, I saw, you know, what, 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 what you go through and Michael, what you've gone through and are going through. And I it, it really broke my heart. I mean, it just did. And I, and I think, when we had this miraculous kind of resolution, I was like, "Well what about like all these kids? I mean, I felt so thankful, but also just so i mean guilty in a way, you know like
0: we we talk about survivor's guilt, so yeah,
1: and I think i so I just I started to learn more and more about you know like okay, what are like as I see my friends losing their kids, like losing them." You know, what are we doing about this? You know, you just feel this desperate sadness. And that's, you know, when I really started looking and, and researching and realizing, holy cow, we're not doing much. We are not doing much as a as a nation to to help these kids and to change things like to advance better treatments. I mean, the drugs that these kids are, are, are being given were developed 50, 60 years ago, you know, and so true. And there's nothing new because we're not spending any money on research, you know? And so it's, I don't know, you know, it just felt to me like such an injustice, like so wrong. And I think it was just the combination of being exposed to it, but not so much so that I didn't have any fight left in me. You know, our child and our family was scared so much and then learning just how crazy it is. And how we aren't supporting, you know, I just feel like we can do better. And yeah,
0: just like people that are listening, because I think it's like less than 4% of money goes towards funding of childhood.
1: Yeah, so it's it's, so the National Cancer Institute is the largest funder of cancer research in the world, less than 4% of their research budget is allocated to research that specifically looks at childhood cancer and is aimed at solving childhood cancers. Yes. And I think people just don't realize that it's not, cancer is not cancer. You know, it is not biologically all the same, you know, the cancers which affect children are so different and, and they're very different biologically and, and treatments, you know, that work for adults don't necessarily work for kids and can be harmful children. And so we have to yeah. study the diseases that affect the kids in order to come up with treatments. Um, and we just, we aren't as a nation. I'm just even more blown away. Like I, I already loved you from our email <laughs> exchanges
0: and from everything I've heard about you, but I didn't realize your path exactly. So you, even though your son well, I'm going to say he's just fine because we're we're believing that and he is doing great. You still took this purpose and you have just like thrown yourself in. This is your full time career. This is your this is your life. So you also started something also. So Brandon is fine and he's Michael's yeah. age. Yeah, he's absolutely. 21.
2: Yeah,
0: We realized they were born the same year, 2001. It was a good year.
1: Well, and you know what? I felt like it was my responsibility, right? Like we skated through. I mean, yes, it was really hard for me. Like, I mean, it was, it was hard for us. And it was, I did feel like it was kind of torture, like feeling like you were playing Russian roulette every day, but...
0: Waiting is so hard.
1: And the fear. But when I compare that to what I know other families go through in this and, and, and what my friends have gone through and these kids that I've loved have gone through it's nothing. And so, and I was trained in advocacy. So I felt a responsibility to do this for, for the, for my friends who couldn't do it, you know?
0: Yeah. Cause we actually talked about that on email. You said to me, finding beauty in the ashes and Michael and I always say the beauty and the pain. And mm-hmm. one thing you said to me was, maybe it's easier to find the gifts because Brandon is alive. And, you know, for me as well, but I did, you know, I did lose my husband to cancer as well. And I think that we do feel a really strong purpose. And I think that is okay that some people don't feel compelled. Like some people Mm want to get through the cancer or their child passes away or their husband or their parent, and they want to go the other way. And I, Totally respect that and understand that. And I can't really explain why Michael and I feel this purpose. It's similar to you. We just feel like we feel kind of, I don't know, obligated. It's not obligated. It's wanting to. Yes. But we we have that same desire to pass along. If we're going to go through all of this pain and hell and ashes. That something should come of it.
1: Yeah, I can so relate to that. And I think that, you know, I think. Um, I felt like the grief that I felt with the loss of some of, you know, my friends, your friends, children, I mean, I felt like there has to be more to this than just pain, right? There has to be. And, and so for me, and, you know, we're all different and I definitely understand why people turn away and need to get as far away as possible. It is not easy to live in this every day, but for me, it's nece- it's important, it's necessary, it's my purpose, and it, it, and it isn't everyone's, and that's fine, too. Like, I think we all have to be understanding, and, you know, for some people, it's too hard, it's too painful, and that and I understand that.
0: Michael has friends that, like, they don't want to talk about their cancer that he's met, and I think that's okay, but I, I do love that he embraces it, because then it gives us a face to go with the story.
1: Well, and I think too, like Michael, I mean, I just want to tell you that, I mean, how much I admire you. I think I definitely agree that there are a lot of kids who don't want to talk about it. They just want to be normal kids. They don't yeah. want to be the cancer kid, right? Yeah. And, but what I think is those kids and young adults still need to talk about, they need somewhere to relate because their peers can't necessarily relate to what their experiences have been and their perspective and, and, and just all the things that they deal with that are different from their peers. And so they need somewhere to do that. And I think you are providing that place for them and, and a way for them yeah. to be supported and, and, and share their story in a private way. And not, not, not everyone can be public or wants to be public, but they still need that Avenue. And someone who can relate to them. And I think by putting yourself out there, it's such an unselfish thing to do. You know, that is what you're offering.
2: Yeah, that's what I try to do best. It's just, and I look at it the same way for, for caregivers too, because not only caregivers, like they can't relate to their peers as well. It's so hard because not everyone that you're friends with is going to be caring for someone with cancer. And I'm just shocked at all the stuff that you and people like my mom do and put up with and advocate for. It's so awesome. You can
0: tell we hang out together a lot.
2: And yeah, like I, I just wanted to ask you, like you started Quiet Heroes. So can you explain to me and everyone to listening really why and what that is?
0: Because this is how we got connected. Yeah. So I, yes, I want you to tell about it. I know about it, but yeah. I want you to talk about it because I think it's amazing that you do this. It's close to. Sure. Eleanor, well,
1: actually. I love it too. And it's kind of my baby. So I, I'm excited. I'm happy to share it with you. So it is your baby. Years is a luncheon. It's an event. It's an it's a luncheon that we host every year and I started this out of my home before I was ever at Cured. For those baseball fans who might be listening, you might know Tom Glavin, who played on the Braves for many years and then the Mets and then finally retired um from the Braves. He's a pitcher. And he he was uh inducted into the Hall of Fame, you know, in recent years, but his wife, I met her um and I didn't know her well at all. And she didn't, she didn't have a child with cancer. One of her kids in um, their classmate was a, a child going through treatment for uh, Ewing sarcoma. And so okay. she was connected that way. And we met and there was another family that was also had a young boy who was fighting Ewing sarcoma. And, and he, you know, went through treatment, had the rotation rotationplasty, which is a, A form of amputation and was doing well and through his treatment. And then three weeks later, the cancer came back to his skull bones. And, and it was really bad from there. I mean, over that course of nine months, you know, we all watched this child just Suffer and the family run out of options, and I was very close to the situation because I went to high school with the father, and then um, the mother kept a you know an online journal on on Caring Bridge, and the community here was just deeply affected by all of, by this, and and the mother's writing was just so raw and beautiful and honest and sad and all of that, and Chris Glavin was just so touched by all of it, and she you know, I think when this little boy died, September 14th of 2004. And, you know, she actually reached out to me and said, God, I can't take this. Like I, you know, she had four young children at the time. And she said, I cannot imagine this could be one of mine. And I just can't imagine. And we really, we just, we need to do something for these moms. Like, what if we just do something for them? Like, let's, maybe it's like a a lunch at a hotel or something, and we just bring them and just give them a day that's just kind of about them and away from life, right? And she's like, But, you know, I don't really have time because I've got four young kids and my husband's playing baseball at, at, up in New York. And so, like, have at it, right? And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, the biggest thing I've ever planned is my three year old's birthday party. <laughs> so, let you know. And so I um, just, gathered together some other women who let's plan something do something for these moms and and we just started and we had no idea we didn't know what we were doing and, and we put together this this luncheon and kind of decided you know if we're going to do this like let's let's make it a fundraiser too because what these moms really want and the way to kind of yeah, honor them the yeah. best is to you know advance research and and get to you know even one day closer to to cures for these kids and so we decided, okay, we're we're gonna make this into like a big thing, and we're gonna invite. We're gonna do it at a hotel, and we're gonna invite people. And I don't know if anybody will come or not come. And the moms will be free, but we'll sell tickets. And I mean, and the first year, I think we had five hundred people there, and we raised the first year, and we raised a hundred thousand dollars. And I think we had like maybe about a hundred moms.
0: 100? We yeah. gave.
1: We gave them special gift bags and just tried to make it special for them, and people loved it, and it's just gone from there, and, and then the Glavins really got involved, and they were involved for many years. Chris was our hostess, um, and mm-hmm. then eventually, they just, in recent years, moved to Florida, so she's I'm not involved anymore, but... Certainly, she was the heart of it for so long, and and so we have this year is our 18th year of this, wow. and it's grown and evolved. We do many special things for the moms that day. Um, we have a special like pamper room where there's chair massages and makeup artists, and and it's like Christmas. And that's awesome. We have, really, our goal is for the program to be light and uplifting, inspirational, but, but not heavy, because these moms know enough heavy. And also to bring together a community, you know, around, it's it's for anybody, it's not just our moms, although we, about 250 of our guests are, are moms, and uh, in all different stages, like some are relatively newly, di- have kids who are newly diagnosed, some survivors, we have our Bereaved moms, there. You know, it's 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 a it's a combination, and anywhere from you know another three hundred guests who buy tickets and come, and and it's just a really special, unique day. And we think we've raised uh, just over six point one million with just wow. the Quiet Heroes Luncheon in wow. these years. It's
0: that, crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. Because what you just said, I think most caregivers can relate to the part about not just pampering the moms, but what they want is more funding to go to research because I hear that a lot of times from caregivers. And, you know, I also try to encourage caregivers, you know, to take care of themselves and Mm -hmm. to love themselves. And most of them are like, yes, but all I want is a cure for my kid. And of course I feel the same way. All I want to do is help and you want to help the next person and the next person. So I love that it's like, it's (laughs) guilt-free.
2: You can go and get pampered. Yeah, it's for a good cause. Yeah, it's so cool. That's that's, Well, and the other thing, I mean,
1: it's always been this way, but I think since COVID, even more so, like, I feel like in the early years, I mean, it it just really created a community here among all of our moms, like, in a way that I don't think really has existed in other cities. And it's just been this very close knit community. And I think COVID created isolation and you all, I mean, you, you experienced that, right. Where um, you can't interact with anyone. And, 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 and so these moms don't know each other and they don't know. And, and I think giving them a way to come together and meet other moms. And for me, my, I call them, you know, it's my tribe. My girls, they're yeah. my tribe. And we've been through years together and relapses and life, big life events that have nothing to do with cancer. And I mean, 20 years later, they are still my best friends. And yeah. I can't imagine life without them. And so these moms, they they don't even know they need it. They don't even know what they're missing, but I want them to have it too. And it will make a difference in their lives. And and it's a big part of this is, is giving them the opportunity to know each other.
0: We agree about that so much. Like the connection part is, the, is such a big part. I mean, I know you know that Michael leads a group for cancer survivors and I lead one for cancer caregivers and just... Just, I don't want to say lead, just hosting that, just having that connection is so important. So I can imagine coming together in person. That's amazing. That has been hard with COVID because we've done a lot. Thank goodness. I mean, we're very grateful for social media, but there's nothing like a real live hug.
1: Oh, definitely. In person,
0: there's nothing like it. I also wanted to ask you. When I was reading through the website, I saw that you launched a precision medicine program. It's like a gene-based therapy. I, it just caught my eye, and I wanted to ask you about that.
1: I think this is the one thing that makes me most sort of proud of the organization and the people that have been involved over the years. So in 2017, the director of the Pediatric Cancer Center here in Atlanta came to me and said, you know, there's this better way of treating kids with cancer. And, you know, it's happening, this, this approach to disease treatment is happening in adult cancer treatment, and it's happening across other diseases. But as always, the children and childhood diseases lag behind. And so it's really not available to very many kids. And there are only two centers in the country, pediatric cancer centers that are doing this. And it's, In New York at Sloan Kettering and in Texas at Texas Children's and we really want to bring this precision medicine to here and um, what he explained and what what how I understand it is that when a child and Michael forgive me for saying child I know you're not no
2: no no I I completely get it I'm at a children's hospital all the time
1: yeah Yeah. So I
2: understand I understand what you mean
1: newborn to 21 is what i mean yes, when i when i yes, use that word yes. but so when you have a diagnosis and you know that it's a high risk diagnosis like um like um a brain tumor let's say or it's you know a stage 4 neuroblastoma something like that you can take uh, the tissue uh, of the tumor and you can do a very comprehensive, deep genetic analysis of that tissue. And you can see the genes that have mutated and you can hopefully figure out which of those mutations are driving the cancer cells. So driving the growth, keeping the can- those cells from being essentially killed by radiation or chemo. And at, you can then target the mutations, those specific mutations. And in some cases it's turning off a protein or it's, you know, it's something like that. It can stop the tumors from growing. It can stop the cancer and then allow um, treatment to, to actually work. And so he explained this to us and, and he said, you know, this is the future. And we want the, uh, the Aflac Cancer Center in Atlanta is, Often it's it's either one or two in the volume, the number of patients that they treat every year. So we felt like bringing it here was uh, really important, and so we we agreed, we gave, uh, we committed four and a half million dollars to build the infrastructure. You need, you know, not just the genetic analysis, which costs five thousand dollars per child. Um, but you also need, you know, the molecular tumor board, the, the analysts who really can understand all of the data that comes back and help guide the doctors, you know, what does this mean? And um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a quite a lot of infrastructure. And so we did that. And, and the program is in its sixth year. And what wow. I am so I mean, I could introduce y'all to children who are alive today, because they found a mutation. It was targetable. And, you know, and the child is alive, but what, what has been so amazing to me, it's like, you know, I feel like when we agreed to do this, it was a little bit of an unknown and they just, the team here, because they have such a big program now that we, that we fund, um, published a paper and in last, last spring that. Establishes proves with all their data that in eighty five percent of the children who have access to this comprehensive sequencing, the information impacts their treatment.
2: Eighty five.
1: Eighty five. Wow. So, that, and so, and so, what that means is it either sometimes it changes the diagnosis. I can't tell you how many times we've seen high-grade, you know, brain tumors that were thought to be high-grade that turn out not to be. And you can't tell that unless you do the analysis. So a child is spared very Mm -hmm. invasive treatment. Or we just had a case um, just recently where it was the other way. They thought it was low-grade. It was high-grade. And so they immediately stopped what they were doing, the treatment, and went to a more aggressive path, which you hate, but that that the treatment wasn't going to work for that child. So, you know, we weren't giving this child, you know, toxic treatment that wasn't going to work that was only going to result in relapse that was going to require much more. And and so you, you know, you're doing the right thing from the start. So there's, there's that. Sometimes it changes the diagnosis. Sometimes um, it, does reveal a targetable mutation. It reveals that a child is eligible for a clinical trial that you wouldn't have known they were eligible for otherwise. And then here's the other one that's just like, to me, it's like one of those unexpected, just incredible things. So I know when my son was diagnosed, they they told us that, you know, I want to know, like, like how does this happen in a newborn, you know, and and what did I do? Like, is it? is it genetic is it and and they were like you know it's just bad luck really like it really is like we don't think that most childhood cancers are genetic like it's it's just bad luck and what they have found by by this precision medicine and gene sequencing is that anywhere from 10 up to 30 percent of these kids and cases are genetic are caused by genetic uh mutations and so They've identified what they call germline mutations that are passed down. And so when they test, let's say, Michael, they tested your tumor and they found a germline mutation, then they would want to test your brother and maybe your mother. And then if the sibling has the same mutation, it doesn't mean they will develop cancer, but they are predisposed. And so then they are very aggressively monitored that's been an amazing offshoot of this. And imagine like the earliest of interventions, if that happens, you know? Um, So this um, program, I think, I I feel like, you know, that paper really established that, hey, like there's, we need to be doing this. This is, this is really critical And, you know, I think for us, for CURE, it is our highest priority is to advance the use and knowledge around precision medicine in children with cancer. And that is something that I feel very strongly about. And we, you know, I need to raise more money because we need um, to to, to really make a big splash in that and get and just accelerate it. But that is what I feel really, really strongly about.
2: So I understand how that works with like a solid tumor. But yes, could you do that with like a blood cancer? Right. That's that. what I was yes. thinking the whole time.
1: Yes, it is. Uh, they are so here that they're really studying it in solid tumors in leukemias and lymphomas and in brain tumors. Though um, That's like the three areas okay. where they're really diving in. But absolutely. And in fact, in fact, we um, were very heavily involved in a precision medicine uh, big program that was just specific to AML leukemia, the uh, oh, very aggressive God. pediatric leukemia. Yeah. And there's a doctor out in Seattle who was kind of spearheading that and they were sequencing every single child diagnosed across the country with AML. And they've compiled this rich database now of Let's say mutations and so forth. And now LLS the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society has, once all of that was done, they stepped in and now have taken a big AML trial internationally for both pediatric AML and adult AML because it does it is a leukemia that affects both. And they are right now in international clinical trials with treatments for for AML based on all of that. And it is very genetic therapy focused. So it's the future. I mean I think this is very hopeful. And I think, you know, when I started yeah. when I started in this way back a million years ago, you know, the, hu- the a human- the human. <laughs> a million. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: That's about how old we feel since Michael was diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, true. About a, I a million. That. Give or take. <laughs>
1: But the, you know, the, the human genome project had not been finished. They had not mapped out, you know, the, all the DNA and RNA and R in humans. And so this was not possible back then. And I, I remember when I very first started, you know, at cure in 2006 and I was like, we are not working for the next generation of kids. Like we're working for this generation of kids And, and I've said that uh, so many times, but I will be honest that over the years, you know, watching so many kids relapse and so many kids, you know, pass away. Like I, I did start to wonder, like, are we really going to impact this generation of kids? And it, when you, you know, this is, it's hard to be in this every day. And I think I have had times where it's like, Am I going to see, am I going to see a difference in my lifetime? I mean, I'm still going to do it. I'm still going to do it, but is it really for the next generation? And then I feel like what happened was that Human Genome Project was finished. And 2012, I think is when it was finally finished. And the progress that's happened since then has been mind-blowing, mind-blowing, So, I feel like there was so little progress. And then in the last five, six years, it's been explosive. A jump. And that gives me you know?
0: I know. It gives us hope. We're just like you. We're in the middle of it. I mean, this past weekend, we were with someone that their son just died at six years old, neuroblastoma. Yeah. So we're we're surrounded by it still constantly all the time. We have friends that relapse. And so it is very encouraging to hear this from you, like directly from your mouth. It's so encouraging it to hear that. And the people, the naysayers that say they're not even trying. I feel like that's not true. Of course, mm-hmm. I feel like medicine is Doing what they can. I think sometimes for children, though, as you said, the research is not it's not as funded, and I think some I see parents get really upset and really mad about that. But this as, is encouraging. I
1: mean, and it justifiably, right? And yeah, I, of course, think, of but course. I think I think it's the way that I think of it. I I I try to like I, th- I I do think I have been able to kind of try to take my emotional mom hat off sometimes and put the business hat on because I know that if I'm just an emotional and like that people aren't gonna listen, you know, yes. that's just tearing people off. So I think, and of course I can do that because I didn't lose my child, you know, so I'm always gonna say that. But I think that it makes sense to me that of course funding follows the numbers, right? There are millions of adults who get cancer and so, but and there are thousands of children. But I have always felt like wait, we we can't just look at that's not the only way to look at this. We have to look at what are the things that are little, what are the biggest threats to our kids and young adults as as a subset of our population? And then we really need to look at what are those things that threaten them, what are the most serious, and what are we doing about those threats? And and that and that's where I get to we're not doing enough. Like, come on, this is right. this is it's the second leading cause of death overall. And it's growing. It's it's more and more, more and more diagnoses every year. Like, come on, we have to do more for them. It isn't right. It isn't right. There's a way like we can't, I can't, I am, and I'm not even, I there are people who spend their lives, you know, in advocacy and I have so much respect for them because I just can't, I can't do it. I feel like I, I need to spend my time, like, for like not waiting for the federal government to do the right thing. <laughs> like in the meantime, you know, we've got to, I mean, I hope someday it changes, but like in the meantime, we've got to do what we can do. And I, I feel like, like we're making it di- and I don't believe I'm making it, it, but it's like, it's like the army of us, right. All of us at, are making a difference and I'm just years ahead of you. Like you're, you're me 17 years ago, you know? And I think, it's I th- what I want to encourage you is that in my time doing this I have seen a dramatic change and I have yeah. you know there was no such thing as sequencing back in 2001 when Brandon was diagnosed but you are making such a difference oh my god it's incredible hearing you
0: speak Everything you know, the knowledge you have from lawyer—it's very impressive. Just years of being in this—that's all. Like, yeah, that is true. We have found that we're experts on hepatosplenic T cell lymphoma because absolutely. Absolutely. that's what we're, I live, we're you experts know, on disease. GVHD, which is graft versus host disease. Yes, on, on what absolutely. we've dealt with. We're so grateful that you have taken this passion and your incredible brain because you're so smart and passionate. You put it together which is great. And it's also great that you can like say, okay, I need to control my emotions. I think
1: it's, but I, I mean, I can't always Ashley. you know, I'm a mama bear. Like that's what I am first and foremost. And I'm, you know, and for my kids and, and for, for all of you. And I think, I think that's how I feel. And I think I'm not always able to, but I think what I do know is that people won't listen. They will not listen. If they think you're just an angry mom, emotional, angry mom, they will not listen. And 100%. so that's why I ha- I ha- I, think about it like, okay, you know, you're not going to get anywhere if people won't listen. And the other thing is that I think people, and I've really, I really, oh, I just, I, I wanted people to understand this, that it, I want families that deal with this to understand that sometimes it, there's a there can be like the big i always think of it as like you know for so long when you're going through it you're 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 holding back that freight train and you are surviving right day to day and then you, yes. put, you get yes. you get to a place where you kind of let your hand go and the freight train runs over you like you think the freight train is gone but it isn't gone and i think that we at cure we we offer counseling to parents siblings and the you know patient survivor um and and parents you know families who've lost children like everybody and we for a long time because we know it isn't a one once and done kind of thing and and it is, it's a lot, it is a lot, lot, lot to deal with. And I think counseling can be extremely helpful in just coping.
0: Very we, true. We talk a lot about mental health and we're grateful. Yeah, it's that, huge.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's very traumatic, everything we go through. So, and it, it hits you sometimes, you know, like you just said, you know, sometimes you can you get control of it. And out of the blue, it's just like one second you let go and you just crash.
1: And you think, why now? Why now? Like, why now is this hitting me? But it's just your brain can only process so much. Yeah.
2: It can only take so much. And you're going through so much that you can't process it all. And once you start to process it, it just hits you. It's true.
0: I, I love that you're also helping with families and caregivers because I think that is a lack that I see. I see a lot of caregivers that take it all on. And they think they can take it all on, but it, it you you can't you have to you will explode,
1: and they don't You're know really
0: internally turn, explode right? at one point
1: i mean i think I think yes. for that's what I think that's why we started this was because you know they don't know where to turn. they have no idea where to turn, and I think you know they don't and yes, I mean, siblings are can be dramatically affected, and it doesn't mean it's all bad. Right, it doesn't mean I don't want to scare anybody. Like it doesn't mean it's all bad or you can't work through these things. But sometimes you really do need some help. And and you know if if you're out there and you're a cancer parent and you're listening to this, go to our website curechildcancer.org and reach out to us if. If counseling is something that you need, and, and we will help you.
0: Thank you. Yes, I th- I think that is huge. Yeah. It's, thank you. And as you said, it is not all negative. We are very close. I'm so close with the three kids, and they were always close. I think even closer after my husband died their dad died. But then when Michael got sick, we were just like, so close. I mean, there's beautiful things that have come out of it. But it's hard. It's hard to face mortality when you're a teenager. You know, they were three, two teens and a 20 year old. That's not the age. That's the age that you're going to college and thinking about the future and the long years ahead of you, nothing ahead of you, but time. So is there anything, like any lasting message before we end this? Is there anything that we haven't touched on that you want to share? I mean, you shared your heart with us. You shared your
1: soul. You shared your brain. <laughs> I mean, I anything, just want to any- you, Michael, like, I just want to encourage you so much. I mean, I think this is hard and and you've just been through so much. And I think you know, I, I hope that you get back as much as you're giving, you know, and you, you don't have to be doing what you're doing in, in terms of really trying to help other people. But but I know that that's going to be part of your healing too. And I just want you to know, like, I'm among the, I'm sure thousands who are rooting for you and, and just cheering you on. And your family, Ashley, I mean, I know I know it is hard, it is hard and and you guys as a family have been through so much, so really all I want to do is just offer love, encouragement, and just oh I, I wish I could do something for you <laughs> but i, I certainly oh, will a podcast yeah, prayer warriors and encouragers, and I just want you to know I'm here for you as a resource, as a friend, just whatever you need anytime. We can't thank wait to you. get to Atlanta
0: to meet you and hug you. Yes, we, I know the love and the prayers. I feel like that's it's huge. It really is like the community of love and support, and it's why we're here.
1: Yeah, I do know that. I do so
0: for sure. That's why we're here.
1: Oh my goodness! Thank you so
2: much. Yeah, thank you.
0: You are you are thank a godsend.
2: Cancer.
1: Yes. You know, to today. I just have so much. I mean, y'all just have so much courage and grace and wisdom and sharing your experience. It's like I said, it's so unselfish. And I am a fan. I'm a super fan. Thank I think we're, you. I thank you, and I think
0: we're a super fan of you. you. I just, yes.
1: I just love hearing your story,
0: and that you are there and so much. And you could have.
1: No, I really wouldn't
0: know. That's what, but you could have.